Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this session on audio description and quality control. My name is Katie Frederick, and I am the Zoom facilitator for this session. Before I turn it over to the folks who really know what they're talking about, I want to give people the opening CEU codes for this session. So if you signed up to receive continuing education credit at the ACB conference, your opening code is numbers two, five, the letter C as in conference, numbers nine, zero. Again, one more time, the opening continuing education credit code is numbers two, five, letter C as in conference, numbers nine, zero. And we'll also have an ending code. So now I will turn it over to Dr. Joel Snyder to introduce the session for this afternoon. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Katie. Welcome. This is the audio description and quality control session, the hiring of description producers, describers, and audio editors session. Uh, that also includes voice talents. You know, 11 years ago, I uh, helped establish the American Council of the Blind's Audio Description Project, and my company directs its activities under a contract with the American Council of the Blind. This is the closing session of the Audio Description Project Conference. This is our sixth full gathering of audio description consumers, producers, advocates, and many other supporters. We hold this conference every other year in conjunction with ACB's annual conference and convention. As Katie mentioned, this is Dr. Joel Snyder, and I'm the president of Audio Description Associates, LLC. Uh, by way of kicking things off here, I want to uh, recall a couple of things. 40 years ago, 40 years ago, it seems like only yesterday, I was um, fortunate to be a part of the world's first audio description service. It was based in Washington, D.C., and began with a focus on audio description for live theater. Well, the description field is no longer in its infancy. Um, perhaps we're in our adolescence, I, I imagine. We, we've grown to provide access to all manner of performing arts on television, in film, at museum exhibitions, and a wide range of live events. And we now have a presence in over 70 countries, as documented in a survey that I conducted two years ago with the ACB and the World Blind Union. Uh, throughout Europe, in particular, people receive master's degrees and PhDs now in the study of audio description. And my own uh, PhD in audio description is from the Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona, uh, which is an important center, by the way, for the study of audiovisual translation. And we've grown from what uh, was strictly a volunteer activity to an industry that is increasingly focused on supporting high quality in the production of audio description, whether it be its writing, its voicing, uh, or its audio description writers, uh, or rather uh, its voicing or its um, uh, or the audio description editors um, for media in particular. American Council of the Blind, along with others, uh, have begun actually developing a certification program for audio description writers with the idea to ensure that kind of level of quality. And there's even talk in some circles about exploring the unionization of description voice talents and description writers. So that's something else to, to look, look at uh, in the future. We are really quite fortunate today to have with us 
for this session, a panel of industry leaders who will focus for the next 75 minutes or so on how they ensure quality in the production of audio description. So let me introduce them to you. Uh, and this is in the order in which they will speak. Uh, we decided to do this chronologically, actually, from earliest to latest, according to when their organizations and personnel began working with audio description. So first we have Brian Williams, uh, who has worked for Media Access Group at WGBH for over 20 years. And for nearly a decade of that is the operations manager for uh, DVS, their descriptive video services department. Uh, he's a writer with an MFA in screenwriting. His plays have been published and produced nationally and have received several awards, including the Los Angeles Drama Critics Circle Award. Welcome, Brian. Thank and you. You bet. And Rick Boggs is here. Now, he is an audio description consumer and leading advocate for audio description, the founder and general manager of Audio Eyes. Rick has been doing this for uh, about as long as I can remember. Uh, audio Eyes uh, has created audio description for thousands of feature films and television shows since at least 2002, and then beyond that, before that, in other uh, mm -hmm. company formats. Rick is a recipient, by the way, of the Barry Levine Memorial Award for career achievement in audio description from the ACB's audio description project. Rick is here. Hey, Rick. Hey, thank you, Joel. You Glad bet. To be here. Chris Snyder is here. I like to call him Cousin Chris, but there's no relation, actually. Um, he, Chris is also with Audio Eyes. He's, he is a totally blind description quality expert, voiceover artist, and award-winning audio engineer. He has produced thousands of hours of audio description for television and film over the past 18 years, and a strong proponent of the hiring of blind people at all levels of the audio description industry. Isn't that right, Chris? Yes, it is. And there thank you, you for having me. <laughs> of course. Daniel Koshmerick is a senior manager within Amazon Prime Videos content operations organization. He manages the operational relationships with Prime Video studio partners, their post houses, creative agencies, and their localization service providers. And that word localization may be unfamiliar to some of you. Well, often audio description is part of, of a company's localization efforts, making their, their products accessible to a particular uh, area of, of, of folks who speak a particular language or use description or use subtitles, that, what have you. Thank you for joining us, Dan. Thank you very much. There he is. And last but far from least, Margot Tone joined Deluxe in 2008 and almost Eight years ago, Deluxe started doing description when a major client requested it. She is a graduate of our very own Audio Description Project, Audio Description Institute, which I lead uh, twice a year. And she's gone on to oversee Deluxe's creation of audio description for Oscar-winning films, indies, numerous streaming projects, in English, of course, but also in French, Brazilian, Portuguese, <laughs> Japanese, German, and even Icelandic. Wow, Margot, thanks for being with us. 
Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Um, I've asked each of our panelists to speak on the process, their procedures that their companies follow for the hiring of audio describer, describers, the, the writers of description, the hiring of voice talents, and the hiring of audio editors. <laughs> we'll have time for questions toward the end of the session. And just so you know, I've suggested that each of our speakers in their remarks, uh, I've asked that they each address one or more or all, if they have time in their 10, 12 minutes or so, uh, of the following topics. Do you hire individual freelance describers or go through an audio description production company? Or do you have audio describers on staff as full or part-time employees? How do you ensure high quality in the development of audio description scripts? Do you interview, test, prospective individual describers? Is there a particular format that you require for scripts or software that you use? And how about voice talents? Do you hire them separately or do you contract for a, a package from audio description developers who provide you the scripts, the voicing, and the audio editing? Do you ever use TTS, text-to-speech technology, to accomplish the voicing function? Do you have audio editors on staff or do you subcontract the audio editing function? To what extent do you work with audio description consumers, people who are blind or have low vision, in the development of the actual audio description you produce? And then finally, do you foresee any significant changes in your process over the next five years? How do you hope to build or expand your audio description activity in the future? So with that, let's hear from Brian at WGBH. Well, thanks, Joel. I'm really, really excited to be part of this panel. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I want to address today uh, some of the basic elements and our procedures that go into creating audio description at Media Access Group at WGBH. And I'm going to be talking primarily about staffing, <clears throat> scripting, quality control, as you suggested, and narrator selection. So we primarily utilize staff for all of our positions. Uh, this includes our describers who write the first drafts of our scripts and our post-production supervisors who edit the scripts and produce the recording sessions, and our audio engineers and our quality control personnel. Quality in particular is very important to us. We interview and test potential describers prior to hiring them. It's helpful uh, if the describers have writing experience, but not mandatory, especially uh, screenwriting experience. Many of our describers have degrees in writing and or screenwriting. We look for candidates who are detail-oriented because details are really integral to telling a good story. It's important for them to be able to you know, understand the trail of breadcrumbs that writers and directors leave behind in their storytelling, <laughs> what red herrings have been carefully placed, how can we best convey those little bits of information concisely and with craft. Those are really two important elements that are at the foundation of good audio description. We only have a limited amount of time to convey the visual story being told. As much as possible, we want to avoid stepping on all the other elements that have already been laid out. How can we best project the key visual ingredients and still incorporate the dialogue, the music and lyrics, the sound effects, the mood? It's a skill that we work really hard at training our describers to develop. We generally promote from within. Our post-production supervisors come to their job with a, a good amount of time and experience already as describers. 
and the post-production supervisors, they edit the describer's work. They give them feedback, encouragement, guidance on developing their skills. You know, we like variety in our description. You know, A does this, B does that, A does this, B does that. That sort of description can be a little repetitive and ultimately boring. So we try to figure out how can we vary the sentence structure? How can we uh, give every action a unique sound so that it, is, it isn't all the same? Are we using the same words and phrases over and over again? Are we handling people and circumstances in a sensitive manner? Are we taking into account the audience we're writing for? You know, perhaps we need to use simpler words because this particular program is geared toward children rather than adults. Or, you know, we find that if, you know, if sometimes we as writers like language. So, uh, you know, we like to use words, but sometimes our words can really take the audience out of the story. If we have to think about what a particular word means, then we've lost the plot. So we want to maintain the flow of the story. Our post-production supervisors, they produce our recording sessions with an audio engineer and a narrator. And uh, some rewriting even goes on during the uh, recording session. Sometimes changes are made because once we hear it out loud, it doesn't sound quite as good as we imagined it to sound. Or we realize that we've used the same word three times in a row or... Sometimes we realize that we didn't edit a run-on sentence and the narrator runs out of breath by the time they reach the end of it. Um, sometimes we discover that our word choice is just too hard to say. Words that end in STS can be hard to say, like fists and wrists and guests. Bespectacled is one that they like to use in, in the office a lot. It's concise. It conveys what we want to say, but maybe it's just easier for the narrator to say wearing glasses. <laughs> so, um, and as far as the narrators are concerned, we, we audition the narrators. We're very proud of our close relationship with After SAG, uh, which allows us to use a diverse group of union narrators. There are a lot of reasons why we hire a narrator for work, or we choose a narrator for a specific prob, uh, project. The primary question we have to answer in audition, in an audition with a narrator, is, uh, is the person a good cold reader? You know, because narrators need to read words off a page that they're holding in their hands for the very first time, and they have to make sense, which is a lot harder than it sounds. If they cold read well, then we have to determine how well do they fit in among our other narrators. Are we already working with another narrator who sounds just like them? Or are they good for comedy or for drama or for action or for documentaries? Or is their voice really adaptable to any genre? Scheduling. Scheduling plays a huge role in audio description. You know, we're one of the last stops in a production company's schedule, a post-production company usually uh, schedule. So, so sometimes, especially in television, we record a program on the same day that it's going to air that night. So our narrators have to be really on the ball. Our post-production supers, uh, post supervisors have to be really on their toes in those situations. It's not like you know, it's not like live TV, but we sort of think of it in our world as live TV's cousin because we're running really close to deadline. But when time allows, we prefer to have our projects go through a more uh, thorough, additional quality control process. So um, another party, sometimes me, sometimes someone else, they'll give uh, the entire program another assessment. You know, I realize the value of a thorough QC when I was a post-production supervisor on one of my first feature films. 
which will go nameless um, after I had, I had watched the film countless times because I had edited the script and I had uh, supervised the recording session and, you know, we'd gone back and we'd done pickups and we were going through, I was going through the final pass on the project. I discovered that a building which had been identified several times in the script as a hotel was actually a ship. The ship was never shown at sea. No one ever identified it as a seagoing vessel in dialogue. It didn't rock. It didn't move. It didn't sway. The hallways and rooms and floor plan all look could have been easily duplicated as a hotel. But I only realized that it was a ship and not a hotel because at the very end of the last reel in the end credits, I had heard a character called by a particular name, ship passenger number six. (laughs) And so... I realized, okay, well, I need to go back and do some more pickups. So um, that's, uh, you know, quality, quality control is really important. So, you know, we, I've, I've picked up many things on a third and fourth time that I've viewed something. That more or less gives you an idea of the process and uh, how we work at uh, Media Access Group at WGBH. Well, that's great, Brian. Thank you. That was quite thorough. Uh, and in like eight minutes or something, I really, <laughs> that that's all part of audio description, isn't it? Being concise, being succinct. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm sure we'll have uh, uh, plenty of questions for you. Uh, let's let's uh, move along in time here to Rick Boggs, who's been doing description uh, for a long, long while. Tell us about Audio Eyes, uh, Rick, and and then maybe we'll we'll go right on to Chris uh, after you know five or six minutes or something. Chris Snyder, go ahead. Thank you, Joel. Absolutely a pleasure to be and an honor uh, to be in this particular group of esteemed colleagues. And I mean that with all seriousness. I have great respect for everybody in this industry. I've known, uh, been familiar with these organizations since since the 90s. Uh, so, of course, it's very difficult to summarize uh, everything that we do and all the different positions in a very short amount of time, but I will make my best effort to describe how this goes. The types of employees or positions that, uh, that we have, that we hire and that we define in our process, and I, I think it's a, for us a seven-step uh, process, um, are, of course, uh, audio engineers, as we refer to them. Uh, our audio engineers all have to be uh, competent at uh, Pro Tools and uh, the current state-of-the-art recording software because we operate as a professional um, audio post-production house, and so we use industry standard the software for that. Um, fortunately for me, I happened to um, to also many, many years ago uh, have been responsible to make Pro Tools accessible for blind audio engineers. And so that that's a subject I'm going to finish on here before I pass it to Chris. But so there are audio engineers and, and maybe I should start. Well, the process actually begins with engineers because they receive the media from, you know, studios, networks, whoever the client is. And prepare that as a a session in the computer, um, prepared for voiceover. They also distribute uh, a, a smaller resolution version of that to the audio description writer. We just we refer to them as DW description writers. Now our process involves uh, ingesting that media, writing a first draft script, and then we have a two step QC process that involves two separate uh, quality control individuals. One who has vision. Uh, we refer to that person as a script quality supervisor. Uh, we call them SQs for short. That is a sighted person who has been trained, been through the same training that our description writers 
go through. Um, and they review the script for accuracy and also to try to ensure that the it's not overwritten, that we can actually write, you know, that we can deliver the words in the allotted time. So accuracy and that sort of thing. The second step of our QC process involves a blind person. Uh, again, uh, not just grab some blind person off the street and say, okay, great, you're a quality control guy, but actually blind people who have been through <laughs> a very similar training to the audio describers. Uh, our training was, uh, uh, a cur- specific curriculum was um, developed for the Video Description Research Development Center and the, and the program that Dr. Josh Mealy put together with the Department of Education to certify blind description quality specialists, DQS, we call them DQs. That blind person reviews the media, reviews the script, and we've developed a system of interrogation for that, um, that we teach to the, the blind DQs to try to identify potentially, uh, potential errors in accuracy. But certainly, uh, the blind person um, has the ability to and the responsibility to change ambiguous language um, and to make the language as listenable. Our goal is that a blind person will be able to hear the description and at first pass with very little effort, be able to understand, get a clear picture of, of what's on the screen as we're describing it. And so our, our blind uh, description quality specialists ensure that our work meets that standard. And then um, finally, of course, uh, it goes to the voiceover stage. Uh, our voiceover artists mostly record in our studio, are, are directed by an engineer. Um, and we do, you know, um, well, I'll get to the sort of the hiring point of it here, but the voice artist is kind of the, the last person. Then it goes back to, to Pro Tools engineers for all the final uh, work before it's delivered. So that's the process and the people involved. I will say this, as far as quality control goes, and I know I sound kind of adamant about it, but I am adamant about it. <laughs> I, I think that if you really want to ensure quality of your audio description, including a blind staff member, having review by actual you know, professional consumers, expert consumers, people who they go through the writing training because they need to know what kind of choices and, and you know, what kind of rest- restrictions or constraints a writer is under, but they still have the perspective of a consumer and say, hey, I, this works and this doesn't work. And we're constantly gathering data and information from blind consumers through the major blindness organizations uh, about uh, feedback, about what description should be and shouldn't be, what's better and what's worse. Um, we also believe that variety and approaches to description is a good thing for the marketplace. Uh, you know, it should not be one size fits all. Every company sounds exactly the same. Um, so, but inclusion of blind professionals to review your material in the production process, not later after it's already out in the world is my opinion, the best way to ensure quality. The other ways we ensure quality is by the training that we do. We have a focus and ad- uh, that we adhere to standards. The standards we adhere to were published by the American Foundation for the Blind. They were funded by the, the U.S. Department of Education. They're also uh, in a smaller format in the description key at dcmp.org, the Describe Caption Media program. The description key also uh, echoes the same uh, good principles and practices um, that the that the AFB standards do. There were other standards uh, out at one time that were very similar, the audio description uh, coalitions uh, and, and so on and so forth. But so we adhere to standards and we teach them. We teach them standards. Um, actually, pretty similar to the way Joel's teaching uh, is done at his uh, ADP classes. So we teach uh, principles of audio description that were rendered uh, by a study commission under the Video Description Research and Development Center, Dr. Josh Mealy, as myself and, and our uh, 
head description writer Terry Grossman to analyze basically all of the known standards, guidelines, do's, don'ts, recommendations for producing description, and then render from that what do all of them hold in common. And we created a document called uh, Principles of Audio Description and Rules for Video Description that is a summary of that. And so that's what we use in our training. That's how we ensure kind of the consistency. Everybody knows what we're aiming for. And then we have a mentorship kind of program that goes on uh, once a a new staff member comes on. And all of our people, it doesn't matter if you're an audio editor or not, you are educated in the the standards for audio description and expected to look for mistakes and contribute to the quality of the program. So that's our, our basic approach to QC and the people <clears throat> the people that do it. As far as the hiring aspect of it, um, unlike uh, my friends at WGBH, who I promoted throughout the 90s and, uh, and modeled my business after um, because I've felt they were the best that there that there was um we uh i say that screenplay writers are the least likely to succeed and i warn them when they come applying here i say well uh, you can go through our training and you take our tests and you know when it when people have to demonstrate before we hire them and put them on paid work they have to demonstrate that they can write a reasonable quality first draft script in the allotted time according to what you know what we the kind of time frames that we need for our production um once they do that, then they can be put on a paid status, but we don't pay to train people. Um, but I find that screenplay writers too often do what I think irritates blind people the most, which is tell us the story. Don't tell me the story. Tell me what's on the screen. Let the director of the TV show tell me the story. I'll draw my own conclusions rather than you drawing them for me. So screenplay writers are too storytelling for my taste. And so um, I think that they don't make particularly good writers, but we do look for people that um, have experience in, in uh, writing of some kind. Uh, uh, but it's not, again, it's not a requirement. People can demonstrate how well they can do this. And you know what? You can't, I've noticed you can't, 20 some odd years of doing this, you can't train somebody to become observant with great detail. Either they have it or they don't. Either when they look at something, they see the detail or they don't. But I've tried and tried. And if someone just doesn't see detail in their natural, innately, innate abilities, I find they're not really going to. <laughs> and we can flesh that out in a pretty short amount of time. So our writers go through our training um, and then they go through a mentor program and then they're, they're, uh, some of them remain as independent contractors, but especially with the new laws in California, we really can't do that for very much. So they have to become hourly uh, employees. We don't farm our stuff out to just like writers from anywhere that we don't have relationships with or to go through our training or anything like that. Our QC people, same thing. They go through the similar kinds of training. They go through test uh, productions. And again, sometimes people will start out as independent contractors, but after a while, they're going to have to end up becoming an employee, most likely. Um, same thing with our, our, our Pro Tools engineers. So we're, we're, and as far as the contracts and labor agreements we have with people, they vary a lot. I mean, we have people on all different kinds of terms and, and roles, and that would take a long time to explain. So that's sort of the... Uh, this is great, Rick. Of our, of our process. This is great, Rick. Thank you. I'm, I'm eager to hear uh, about the audio engineering, audio editing side of things. Chris, tell us a bit about that side of things at Audio Eyes. All right. Well, thank you for uh, having me. Um, I uh, I'm so I'd like to start with uh, you know Rick kind of mentioned that the the voiceover artist is the the last. Uh, person that we get to before we go into the audio engineering and i'm also a, a director you know i'm I, when i record people you, when you when you record a voiceover artist narrating description you have multi at least at our company um 
<laughs> it's a it's a much it's a big multitasking process because you have to keep an eye on the script. You need to keep an eye on your uh, Pro Tools, making sure that it's it's you know doing what it's supposed to do. You need to make sure that you're at the correct time code, of course, and and uh, and that the um, voiceover artist can speak the words in the time allotted. But in our process, uh, that I think is fairly unique, context is is very important uh, for the for the VO artist. Um, in in a way, we we actually um, I, I'm very proud as a as a longtime Audioize um, employee of our of our scripts and the way that they're designed. Um, we uh, Terry and Rick uh, Terry Grossman are premier description writer um and rick boggs um created a a scripting process that is designed for audio description from the ground up i have noticed in my professional life and and working with some other formats of description that um, a lot of people have written from the closed captioning perspective and have written these scripts down to the frame of the mo- of the, the the video um with no cues no no context available for the voiceover artist. And what that results in is very clinical reads from the voiceover artist because they can't, they don't understand what the context is. I mean, obviously, if somebody says, uh, you know, she stabs him, I mean, obviously, that's a violent act, but she raises her eyebrows could be funny. It could be inquisitive. It could be a number of different things. And without any kind of context, you just have to read that clinically in that kind of format because you don't have context. So our process attempts to give the VO artist a little more context. And we do that through audio cues in our scripts. So they get to hear sort of the surrounding dialogue, just a few seconds of it. And admittedly, that's not much context, but it's some context and it does help quite a bit. Um, And so one of the other things I want to go back, I'm I'm jumping all over the place here, but I want to go back and, and and talk about the engineers who are recording, what we have to do is we also have to listen for tone. And the tone that the voiceover artist delivers, and is that in keeping with the context of the scene in the film or, or TV program? So, um, so all of those things are involved when we record voiceover. And of course, we cast, uh, we, we, we do our very best to cast appropriately for the show um, in terms of the voiceover artist uh, their tone, their accent, their um, their details, you know. And I want to say we, you know, WGBH does a, a nice job of that as well. Um, we uh, we then take the dialogue that has been recorded, the the voiceover artist's narration. We um, edit it and make it as pristine as possible in the time allotted. We take out breaths because I find as a consumer of audio description that when when I have a narrator who breathes like that it's it's awfully difficult to remain in the program sometimes so um it's very important to take that stuff out and if they have uh, you know excessive mouth noise and that sort of thing so that goes through the editing process and then the mix um and i want to speak about the mix a little bit because um we we hand mix of course all of our shows and and movies uh we do not trust that process to auto ducking software and the reason for that is that I have, we have, we have found that people who use the machinery to do that, um, yes, you can adjust it. it. It you can make fine tuning, you know, measurements and whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it really does seem mechanical 
from when you, from a from a listening perspective and um you know certain scenes don't need to be ducked down as as hard as possible and and certain um certain environments you can you don't even have to duck it at all you can just let you know the 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 voiceover narrate over the program with no problem at all um and also eqing eqing that voiceover artist to match as closely as possible anyway the eq of the program of the dialogue in the program um helps a lot to make it a flowing natural sound and i kind of want to reference apple here because my personal philosophy when i train my engineers is that i want our audio our description to sound like as much as possible that it was designed within the program at the inception of the program not slapped on as an afterthought i want it to sound organic i want it to sound like it was there from the beginning and why should anybody question it that's that's the kind of thing i'm looking for when I uh, when I handle a mix and when I train my engineers to mix, um, those are all the important points of the engineering here. And I also would like to use this moment in time to stress how important I think it is that blind people who are who are uh, competent VO artists and audio engineers be included in this process from that perspective it's, it's it's vitally important to have a description quality person who is blind but it's it's also important to have blind staff members in the production of this process at other points including audio engineering and voiceover so that they can inform the process and so that they can offer um, unique insights into how these these things sound and and how they should sound that's pretty much what I've got to say about that, it. That's great, Chris. I'm glad you ended with that focus on um, the the inclusion of consumers of description in producing description. Well, yes, uh, because because that's very important. And, and Joel, I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to no, no. just want to point out. I know that there are people out there who will sit there and tell me. I, I have. I can't tell you how many jobs I've applied for over the years. You know, since I was fresh out of apprenticeship for audio engineering projects and for, for that sort of thing. And, and people have this sort of visceral reaction to blind audio yeah. engineers. It's yeah. like, they just think we can't do it. There's, yeah. there's some kind of level of resistance that I simply don't understand. I still don't. It, it's and, an attitude that's out there in all professions, perhaps, unfortunately. But, yes. Um, but I think in description, yeah. the adage that has been adopted by the disability community in activist circles, nothing about us without there us you go. applies. Exactly. Just about to say that. Exactly. Exactly. That's great, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, let's hear from Dan Koshmarek is uh, at Amazon, Amazon Prime Video, and Amazon has uh, uh, jumped in uh, to the description uh, arena, if you will, in providing description for many of their own uh, producers. Uh, uh, their own productions, if you will, um, as well as uh, other films. Dan, tell us about the process at, at Amazon. Yeah, thank you for um, having me. Um, I'm very fortunate to be here um, and, and you know learn, I think, from, from the rest of the panel as well. Um, I'm, I'm very new to the, to the world of audio descriptions. Um, I joined uh, Prime Video um, after six years in, in Amazon retail, um, only 18 months ago, and um, was was tasked with uh, localization um, and uh, closed captions and, and SDH. And um, as we were creating the metrics to track progress 
there. Um, I said, well, wh- why aren't we tracking, um, you know, the availability of audio descriptions as well? Yeah. Um, and um, what I was kind of uh, shocked or disappointed to find is that, you know, well, almost 100% of our, our titles in our um, U.S. catalog on Prime Video have close ca- captions, um, only about 1% of our titles have audio descriptions. Um, and so there was just it's just a lack of availability. In my mind, when we talk about quality, um, I'm not just looking at the quality of the individual assets, but the quality of the overall catalog. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, um, in Prime Video is we're, you know, we're actually, uh, you know, right in front of the customer exhibiting it. And for, um, you know, blinded, visually impaired customers, the catalog is very limited today um, in terms of what content is available. Um, so in 2019, um, we started a program, um, an audio descriptions coverage program to increase the coverage of audio description assets available in our catalog. Um, and and um, Joel, you know Evan very well, um, who sure. worked with you um, and a number of other people um, and, and you know these other companies to identify um, audio description titles that were available um, that weren't you know in, in the wider um, world that weren't available on Prime Video. And uh, we started there um, in tr- terms of using what was available. Um, but, but um, you know, what I'm looking at is a catalog of almost 250,000 titles um, that are missing audio descriptions. And so, um, and, you know, our, our vision is that every single uh, title has, has audio descriptions um, and audio descriptions uh, for video on demand services are as ubiquitous as, as closed captions. Um, and so we're, we're very new in terms of creation. Um, I think I should clarify that. Um, we're, we're a separate team than our Amazon Studios team, uh, which creates uh, you know audio descriptions for all of our uh, Amazon originals, um, our English Amazon originals, um, and I think they have since uh, 2018. Um, and so, but uh, we're looking kind of at the the third party catalog, um, you know, the content that's provided by you know major studios as well as the uh, minor studios or smaller studios that we work with, and um, you know how can we ensure uh, coverage? And so, you know, if, if the studios have gone out and created um, these assets for themselves, um, we want them. We're happy to use them. Um, a minor plug if there's you know audio description uh, assets or you know content that you know is available that's not available on on Amazon please uh, email us at audio-description-feedback at amazon.com and you know we'll we'll go uh, track that down and and get it on the service um but you know there's still a lot of content out there that um we're looking to um, we're looking to create ourselves. Um, and it's tricky. I mean, I think one of the reasons why, you know, there's so much of a back catalog that, that hasn't had content created is, um, I think because audio descriptions is still, um, relatively new. I think Joel, you were talking about the evolution of, of the industry, um, when we started, but also, um, that, um, you know, the blind and visually impaired community is smaller and sometimes the economics haven't been there in the past. Um, and so what we're looking to do is um, try to scale up creation um, in a way that is, you know, high quality um, and uh, also, um, you know, relatively low cost. Um, and, you know, the thing that we may have to sa- sacrifice um, a little bit is, is um, you know, I think it won't be as perfect as um, what a lot of, uh, you know, people are producing today but um for some of these titles they'll be available um which is which is the uh, you know i think that the first thing um is to just get um good audio descriptions available um and so you had a couple of uh, questions um joel that that i think um, we can answer um the first one was do you hire individual freelance describers or or you know uh 
work work on, on payroll or work through companies. Um, we're very new at this um, right now, and and we're still kind of in our explore uh, exploration and test and learn mode. Um, and so we do have a few people at Amazon that are certified audio describers, and we we use them and and their experience. Um, but then we're also uh, kind of as we're looking at um, creating tracks, we're working, uh, you know, at scale. We're working uh, through uh, through these companies, um, uh, you know many of whom are on the panel today because they've they've done the uh you know they've done the uh vetting and you know we're leveraging their expertise um in terms of who are who are um you know quality script writers um and then the quality side um again we're very new but we're very fortunate that uh, dr josh Miele joined amazon in in 2019 and so we're um we're using um, him uh, as a uh, way to, um, you know, seek feedback um, throughout the entire process. Um, we also, there's, Amazon's a very big company and we have a, a rather large blind and visually impaired community um, working in all sorts of different roles and we're um, leveraging their feedback as well. Um, and then kind of the last piece, um, and I think what's what's unique is again, because as we are creating assets, um, we'll be putting them on the website and, and they'll be interacting with customers uh, directly. And so we're looking at, you know, how we can actually use um, customer viewing data to actually measure um, the quality of the, of the, uh, of the assets um, uh, directly, um, kind of both, both directly having customers reach out to us, pr- provide feedback and, and they do on occasion. Uh, we, we do get, you know, customer contacts with, with people saying that these assets are, are poor quality or, um, you know, these assets are out of sync, um, but also, um, you know, passively um, and, you know, showing, um, you know, you know, are, the, are these titles um, having really high um, drop rates? So customers don't or low completion rates um, because because of the quality of the assets. Um, and so these are all things that we're, we're kind of looking at um, is to kind of create a, a, a closed loop, um, you know, there, there's the creators um, of the assets and, you know, all of the quality control processes that, that you can put in place. I think if the customer isn't satisfied with the final asset, then it's not a problem with the customer. It's a problem with the, the quality control process. And so um, yeah. we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we are um, looking at getting uh, feedback directly on assets. And, you know, not only for the assets we create, but we also want to, um, as we gather this data, provide this back to, um, you know, the originators, whether it's the studios um, or, um, or or the creators themselves um, to, uh, you know, help them identify where, um, where things can be improved. Yeah, that's great, Dan. So, yeah, I, I can stop there. Um, no, but, it's okay. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I, that's that's kind of a high level. We're very early in the process and, sure. and we're learning. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, I think, trying to take a, a little bit of a, a, a different approach um, in that we're looking at kind of the, uh, the global catalog of content and, and um, you know, trying to figure out how we can get assets for, for everything. Sure. Well, I'll jump in and say from your lips, the God's ears, as they say, uh, the idea that everything that has closed captions should have audio description. Wow. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe in my lifetime, I don't know. I'm pretty old. Uh, but boy, wouldn't that, that's a great goal, Dan. I'm glad you mentioned that. I do want to catch one thing, though. You mentioned certified audio describers. And as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, ACB is very involved with the Academy of uh, for Certification of Vision and uh, Rehabilitation Education Professionals, ACB, REP, in developing a, certif- a formal certification program. Are, were you you speaking of, of people who've been su- through some training, like our Audio Description Institute, or or what what do you mean exactly? 
Yes, some people have been trained through others, but um, Evan, I know, had uh, attended your training, um, I think, in February right. as That's well right. and, and yes, was certified he was great. there. So, um, yeah, and, and we're looking to send send a few more um, because there you go. getting uh, kind of people on hand who are who are building the, the, the products um, sure. and building the, the technology um, who, who, who can also, you know, see how this works in practice and, you know, great. you know, know what a customer of the tool would look like is going to be super helpful. Right. So, well, I, good. I'm glad we clarified that because when people go through a training, for instance, at the Audio Description Institute, they receive a certificate that indicates they've been through that training. Certification is, is really something that's a much grander, much larger scheme. And and uh, we're hoping that within the next year or two, we'll be able to introduce something like that, not just for describers, but hearkening back to some things that uh, uh, Chris and, and Rick said, uh, a certification for audio description consumers who are consultants on description. That's on on the, the, the block as well, uh, working towards that. Margot Tome. Uh, is at Deluxe, and Deluxe does description and subtitles and dubbing for so many feature films uh, and and uh, Oscar-winning feature films, and you do them in so many languages. Margaret, tell us about your process. Hi. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on this panel. I, you know, feel really honored and um, had a lot of respect for everyone on this panel. And 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 then they actually said quite a few things that I agree with and that we do in practice. So, yeah, so, you know, when we started this eight or so years ago, I, my boss did send me, you know, and my one of my managers to to your seminar. And I am so glad he did. And I think anyone should do this because I think having that understanding and that foundation, for me, at least, really informed how I approached, you know, when we started this department. Um, so what we did is for... For us, we started out with, um, we had, you know, our staff that was trained and we used uh, an, an engineer. And because we do a lot of dubbing and because my colleague was involved in a lot of the dubbing, she had sort of a, a group of dubbing actors that she auditioned to see if they could do audio description narration because, you know, we found that just because they could do dubbing, you know, AD is completely different, as everyone knows. You know, you're not, you do not want to come become a part of the production audio. You do have to know when to pull back. And, you know, but then you don't want to sound so monotone that you put people to sleep. So it's, it is a fine balance. And you do have to know how to breathe in your breast. And um, so, you know, we use trained people. And, you know, and we've had people come. I had my really quick story. I had my boss, big boss, ask me to use somebody who was a friend of somebody or a brother of somebody in the industry. He came in and, you know, my production manager there and he's, we asked for training. He goes, yeah, I just thought I wanted to do this. I felt like doing it. And we're like, <laughs> okay. So he actually had a very good voice. However, you know, we could tell that he needed training, you know, that, that, to, that should do that delivery. And that, that cold read is super hard, um, you know. So I had to, t <laughs> we sent him off on his way and then told him what we recommended that maybe he could do some training. And um, yeah, I got a little angry call from my boss, but he <laughs> said, hey, if you want to put this guy on a big project, you know, without the training, we'll do it. And um back down anyway so <laughs> but but that just shows i mean it's just not something someone can come in off the street and do and as far as writing for me 
I really think the whole process starts with that foundation of a strong uh, script, of a strong, someone who really understands what they're writing, understands the timing. Um, it, it is the foundation. Um, where the commas go, I mean, you know, how to direct, you know, even in the, in the script to say to the actor, hey, this is going to be brisk, you know, or hey, pick this up a little bit during this passage because it's an action passage. So that's the thing, too, is if and, you know, and we do um, we do have freelancers, but we have a really strong staff of five, well, four writers, four full time writers who we lucked out who came to us already with like eight to 16 years experience in AD. So we were really happy to have them. And we, you know, we did do training to try to get people, uh, you know, to get freelancers because we wanted to bring on other people. And we did um, in-house seminars and, um, and we even actually had our actors participate because, you know, I think it was important for them to understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, and I think it would inform how they approach a project. So, um, and, and I have to say, we did, I think we did like three or four in-person seminars and we would bring them in, um, show a passage, have everybody write, you know, the description after we went over, you know, what it was, this and that, and then have them write it and, um, and then go over it with them. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, what Rick was saying about screenwriters and all that, we do have one or two who are actually really good, but it is really hard for somebody to come from that screenwriting point of view sometimes because they want to, you know, write because they're in love with their words, they're in love with what they say, and it sounds <laughs> great. And, you know, and I've had to say that is the, such a beautiful wordsmith, I mean, just great sentence, but that's not, but you're not saying anything. And we, and that's not what we want, you know, just please say what is going on on screen. And, you know, the words I have, I wrote this word down because, and this might make me look stupid, but I read something, one of our writers wrote, and it said ablutions. I'm like, what? I, it's like, <laughs> I have to look this word up. We're in trouble. So I looked, and I'm and it's bathing. Bath, I said, he's taking a shower. Can we just say he's taking a shower? <laughs> so, you know, and anyway, but that's, it is being able to, um, to write and know your audience. And if you are writing for and a younger audience, you definitely wouldn't use ablution. You want to, you know, keep your words simple. Um, and we have the voice talent that we have, they have, uh, they each have a certain timbre and tone that, you know, maybe moves them closer to a genre like a Western or an action film or a rom-com or a kid's film, but they can certainly cross over and adapt to what they need, you know, to whatever the genre is that we need them to do. So writers. So, uh, go back to that. So I would say we did three, three or four seminars with about 20 people in each. And I got to say, out of all of that, there was maybe two or three that really got it and stuck with it because it does take time. And that's a frustration I know for some freelancers because they're like, they want to get in. They want to do this training. First of all, they're, they're like, wait, I got to train. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and then the time it takes and, you know, and, you know, and sometimes there's egos involved and it's, you know, it's like, it, it, it's, hard to for them to understand why well, I wrote this this way and why doesn't it work you know um but I had like one who we actually hired full-time her first live project for us she just she got it it's like what Rick said they either got it 
or they don't. I really, and sometimes, sometimes you can train to a certain extent, but we've, we've trained people and we kind of reach a point. It's like, look, you know, after six months or three months or whatever, if they're still not grasping it, then, you know, then we have to kind of let them go because, you know, we have, uh, you know, our clients are, you know, demanding, you know, for turnaround. And they, you know, when we first started, I spent a lot of time having to explain to certain clients, you know, they'd say, well, why don't you put this? It's like, okay, well, we wouldn't do that because it goes over the dialogue and you absolutely do not want to go over the dialogue. And, you know, we don't do this because it goes over a soundtrack and we don't do this because now you're telling the, the blind you know, patron, what they should be feeling or seeing or doing. And, and we do not do that. They can get it from context. They can get it from tone. We don't need to, you know, spell it out for them. So, um, but I have to say the clients nowadays are, are much more savvy, at least the ones we deal with. Some have taken your course, I think. And, um, and they watch our AD. They, they QC it before we, before it's released sometimes. Mm some of them. So they are very involved and, um, you know, and they're very willing participants and they do want a good AD. And that's, you know, that's why we have really high standards, you know, and that's why we use the best of the best because we need to meet what our clients' expectations are. And we, we did use an engineer for a long time, but, you know, for the volume of work, work we were getting and for cost effectiveness and better turnaround, we actually built two sound booths so that we could have the voice talent, you know, two at a time go in there and, um, and do their own recording and, you know, and then do their retakes and, you know, and obviously, you know, we would sit in there if there was a specific, you know, tough project or if there was something we really needed to kind of guide them on, we would sit in with them and that's actually worked really well. And the, and the actors who did take our, you know, seminar and had that understanding. They, they get it. And they've been with us for, you know, eight years. And anyone knew that we would bring in, we would, you know, the production manager would sit in with them on the recording and guide them until they got the hang of it. And this whole COVID thing, which really just put the brakes on everything. You know, I'm so ha happy that we, these, these actors knew how to record themselves because now we're doing it, you know, they're doing it from home. And we have a, a cloud-based platform that we use um, called Sfera that we do all of our writing in. And um, the beautiful thing about that is we can do it all over the world. So when we have something, a feature that we need to have, you know, for French or whatever, we can have someone, you know, in another country do it, you know, do the writing or do the translation. Um, and, you know, right now we've also, they've introduced what they call OneDub, which is a recording tool. So now everything is in this, is in this platform. So we write it, we send it to the actor, they record it, you know, we take it out. We have an audio engineer, a real one, real live engineer, who does all the mixing and, and does the edits and the cleans, you know, the mouth noises like Chris was talking about, because that is absolutely important too. And um, he's very good, he's very dedicated. And we have other uh, audio engineers that we use, you know, to when we have a lot of work that we need to make sure they know what they're doing. And they've been trained by Jordan who, guides them on how to do that because it is a specific skill. Wow. So that's, that's kind of where we're at and where, um, you know, I just, I just, you know what, I just think I've been listening to some, a lot of AD and I, and I, you know, I hear good AD and I hear bad AD and, um, and I hear more good AD than bad, which is really good for me, you know, knowing that it's out there and, 
really quick, my um, we are participating. Um, my manager, writer manager Anna, is is on with you, Joel, on this uh, ERAP committee as a subject right. expert. So I think that's really important. I think it's absolutely important that people get certified and they understand um, what they're doing because it's it's got such a you know it's such a rewarding thing to sure. do and and it's very important. Anyway, and that's all I have. Thank you, Margo. Thank you so much. And I want to just pick up on a couple of things that each of you said, and then we'll open this up for questions. I, some people have their hands up already. Uh, I love it, Margo, what you said about the clients want good AD. Uh, this is That's growth, let me tell you, because uh, 40 years ago, of course, captioning uh, became uh, uh, required. Um, and a lot of providers uh, were just, uh, and the clients were just, uh, yeah, put, Put some words on the screen. Quality? Do they have to be right? No, they're up there. That's all. Well, that's changing now for captioning and for description. I really, I think that's so important. Um, the uh, Brian, I loved what you said about uh, <laughs> catching something, going back and changing something that's been written because you realize, oh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing here or something, and and making those connections throughout an entire overall script. Um, that was great to hear about. Um, and of course, Rick, uh, what you said about your, what you call them uh, DQs or description quality experts, um, echoing a lot of what Chris said as well. I, I personally think that's so important, having that perspective. And it's not just, like you said, not just somebody off the street who happens to be blind. No, it's someone who knows about description, who also has the perspective of somebody who is um, uh, who, who is a consumer of description. And, and it was interesting when you said about the screenplay writers. I know that there's some debate there, um, but I often, I often like it, like it to people who come to, to describe description. They, they're actors and they want to be describers and they don't, Oh, it, well, I have a great voice. Well, great voice. doesn't quite make it certainly not as far as the writing of description and sometimes not even with respect to the voicing because that, that cold read is so important. So, um, those are a few comments I wanted to throw in there. Uh, Katie, let's uh, see some yeah. hands up. Let's uh, right. go to the um, the audience here and see uh, what they had to say. Okay, Deborah Kendrick. So, um, Joel, I apologize to you because you heard this rant some months ago <laughs> when, you, when you spoke to a tech doc. But I, um, I go way back with audio description. I was involved in that very first advisory board that... Um, WGBH put together in the 80s, and I was in love with audio description, and I watched everything on PBS and bought all those old VHS tapes, but I was burned. I had one bad experience after another where I was in other cities and drove tons of miles and paid lots of money to go to a theater just, <clears throat> just because there was a movie there with audio description. Even if I hated the movie, I just wanted to experience. I wanted to support it. And I had one bad experience after another mm. so that I finally bailed and didn't watch any TV and only went to movies with friends who would describe for me for about 15 years. <laughs> and then in 2016, with all the I'm, I'm a, uh, a writer and I've been a newspaper columnist and magazine feature writer for decades, and it's my business to know what's going on. So all the Netflix stuff got attention and I thought, okay, I need to do this. So I started streaming and I have been making up for lost time for uh -huh. the last four years and I am an, an avid consumer, but 
as a writer and I think a sensitive watcher, a viewer, listener, whatever I am um, of content, I'm also very critical. And so listening to Rick, I was thinking of a conversation I had with you, Rick, probably, I don't know, 10 or more years ago, because I loved that Stephen Bochco show, that Blind Justice. Yep. Yes, ma'am, I remember. I was so mad that it that it didn't survive because yeah. people didn't understand. I think as part of it. Every, do you have a, a a specific question for the panelists? I do. Oh, I good. Do. And this is it. So because so many. So first of all, though, I just wanted to. I want to make a commitment right here in in front of everybody's ears that I'm going to take Rick up on the challenge. He said, "Become part of the solution," and I didn't mm-hmm. do it. So I'm going to find a way yes. time and do it, but. So often, one of the things that bother me the most is too much facial expression and too little description of characters and costume. I want because uh-huh. costume is so frequently important in in a lot of you know period shows. Sure. And Let's have Rick speak to that or anybody else on the panel but, who but here's would like to jump question. in. Is there okay. a standard that because I'll watch a show and I think oh, I want to tell them how good that was or how bad that was. But I don't know who them is. Is okay, there a so, standard for yeah. crediting the, the describing well, service at one point? Okay, there finally has become, Deborah, and there wasn't for a long time. In fact, I, it is a beef of mine as a blind person as well. And think I will give credit to Netflix for doing a survey and actually re, and actually taking action based on the results. One of the things that was going on for a very long time, and it still goes on, is what I call private label description, where they don't want to tell who they use. They want to kind of make it like their own, you know, whatever company they are. And they go, oh, this is our description, whereas they're actually using my service or someone else's service to do it. Now, uh, Netflix set a standard that, which was based on blind people's responses to their survey, that now there is a standard to, to provide the credit for both the description writer, uh, the voice. I'm not a fan of the word narrator because it speaks to storytelling. But anyway, so the, uh, they will call it that. So the, the description writer, the narrator, and the company that did it. So we're, we're moving in the right direction is what I'm trying to tell you. So you will get more and more feedback about who the description company is. Otherwise, you have to use the online resources like the ADP uh, email listserv or the Facebook group called Audio Discussion um, to try to uh, get yeah. you know, information from people who know. No, that's right. Uh, indeed, we, we try to, uh, the Audio Description Project, of course, has its own discussion uh, list, list serve, and that's a topic that comes up often. I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Deborah and Rick. Um, who do we have next, Katie? All right. Ruth, you should be allowed to talk once you find that unmute button. Thank you very much. Hello, Joel. It's been a long time. It's really <laughs> fun. I, was, I took your institute workshop in 2001. I oh, recall. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, and I've been an active audio describer in the theater for, for years since then, and, and happily, happily so. I'm so excited to hear about all of the different... This week has been a, an eye-opener for me in terms of all of the different companies that are doing description. And quality control is, is a particular interest of mine as well. Rick, my question is for you. Um, you hire different people to uh, monitor the quality control of your scripts. You, what about editors? Who Who is um, determining the consistency of your products? Chris <laughs> Snyder, our chief engineer. Chris <laughs> Snyder, is review, he is absolutely responsible to make sure that our various Pro Tools engineers, and I think we have nine, that they are consistent from person to person. We're 
I, I had one person that worked for us, has worked for us for a lot of years, and then they went and did some other work for another company, and they've come back to do some more work for us. And they came back and they were really sloppy. And I said, "Whoa, I, I, you know, I brought you back, and you know, you're getting a little bit of a." A, a better bump in the pay because we needed you right away and we needed to, we, we know your quality, we want, but then you didn't deliver. And the guy says, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I guess I just kind of got in a different mode. He goes, I forgot that, you know, Audiwise is pretty strict about everything. And, <laughs> and I guess, I guess we are. Uh, but Chris makes sure that, that even the way the Pro Tools sessions are configured, the way it's displayed on the screen, I mean, down to that little detail, but in the audio editing, we were just as careful about um, the consistency and the quality as every other aspect of it. I don't Look, know maybe, question. maybe you could, could you clone Chris Snyder, please, and send him around or, or you know, we're something working like that. on it. Oh, we're, good, we're, good. Uh, the problem, the problem <laughs> is that we discovered that he's actually an alien. And so it makes the cloning oh, process more oh, difficult. Okay. That's a problem. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think Melissa, he actually is, he actually is the pro- <laughs> I, I have to say this, Joel, since he's, since he said that about Chris. I had a British uh, independent filmmaker, well-known in the UK, reputable name kind of a guy, come to see... He wanted to see Audio Description in action. He came to our studio to see us do our process. He spent a few days and he watched uh, Chris work and he watched other people work. He pulled me aside afterwards and he said, uh, Mr. Boggs, I, I just wanted to make a comment about your audio engineer. And I said, yeah, something, oh dear. And he says, uh, <laughs> Chris Snyder, he says, I don't know if you realize or not, I've worked with an awful lot of people in this industry. I've, you know, I've known this, I've, I've been doing this for blah, blah years and all this. And he says, he is the finest uh, dialogue editor I've ever seen. And there you should you do everything you can to maintain his services. I said, don't worry, I have no intent of letting him go. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's great. I think Melissa is next. Is that right, Katie? Yes. Hi there. Okay, so um, I have a question about um, a show in particular. So there is a show called Teen Wolf, and I've been looking everywhere I possibly could to find an audio-described version of it, but I've had no luck so far. I've even gone so far as to look for just scripts with narration provided, but even I like I've been unsuccessful in that endeavor. So I was wondering. Any one of you, like, are, do you guys have any plans to produce that show in audio descriptions? Or do you know anyone who is interested in describing that show? Dan from Amazon, why don't you take that on? That, that might be something for your catalog, perhaps. What's the name again, Melissa? It's called Teen Wolf. It's an MTV Wolf. Um, okay. show. Yeah. How would, how would you get that described, Dan? Uh, so, again, we're still kind of in experimentation mode, but... Um, the, the plan again is, uh, or the, the vision is to, to describe everything. Um, and so, um, what we're kind of looking at or generally how we want to approach it is, um, we want to, um, kind of look at what, um, customers are watching regularly, but that, that kind of is a biased measure. Um, we want to start there. So what customers are watching the most, but, um, but I think we need, um, for, for blind and visually impaired customers, um, kind of a way to submit, um, kind of requests, um, and, and figure out, you know, what is the most popular content or desirable content that people want? And that's, that's where we'll start. I like that. I like um, that. And so, I'll have to think about that and then perhaps I can work with Joel in terms of what that process will be, um, you know, how we can communicate that sure. out um, to the wider community um, so that people can can vote on on kind of where we start. Um, maybe they, we have a ton that, of work to do. That's an idea. Um, I know Fred Brack is listening, our webmaster. Maybe that's something we can incorporate within uh, the ADP website. I do want to mention acb.org slash ADP. That is our website with all kinds of uh, everything you ever wanted to know about description, uh, but we're afraid to ask. Um, we have many other initiatives, but acb.org slash ADP. Um, Viola, 
is next. Actually, it's Viola. I'm that's sorry, okay. Viola. Excuse that's me. okay, Joel. I'll forgive you. Okay. Um, I want to thank all you people from GBH, Rick, and everybody, Margaret. And I, I was afraid that they had all gone to this company whose name I probably shouldn't mention because I became a quality control for them. Um, and they do the NBC sh- police shows. You know which ones I mean. Yeah. Uh, they're getting a little better, I have to say, uh, because I told them again and again, again, please stop sounding like, you know, you're um, robotic, you know, and that kind of thing. They they didn't. They continued to do it. But, you know, I like the show, so I'm going to put up with it. But thank you, GBH and everyone else, because your quality is it definitely shows. And um, I do everything I can to have audio description, Amazon, uh, you know, all of that. But thank you very much for all your years of service. Uh, we great. do appreciate it. That's great. Thank you for that. Janine uh, is next, I think. Yes, let me unmute her, and she will probably Thanks. be the last question, I'm thinking. Uh, you think we have, yeah, maybe one or two more? Maybe, yeah, we do have, we're, we're getting up to the witching it's hour. It's 4-12, yeah. Okay. So, all right, Janine, you should be able to talk. Hi, how are you guys? <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this panel, and thank for all your insight, because I'm new to audio description, so I just want to say thank you guys so much. Uh, I do have one question. So there's one show I really like. Um, and the uh, like, is there a way that you email them if they're really bad? So it's the mass singer and they'll be like, turtle walks out. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's all you told me about turtle. Like, I know the turtles out there. Like, so <laughs> what can we do when the audio description is really, really bad? I guess that's my question. Margo, tell, tell us what to do when there's bad description. <laughs> Alexa, GBH. No, just kidding. <laughs> you know what? I, I um, send emails. You know, I think being vocal about it is is really the best way um, to the to the provider. Um, I, you know, absolutely. I don't really have any pull with that? You know, but that's that's what I mean. That's the kind of stuff. And, and so for for us too, because when when another company charges a really really low fee. And they get the work. You kind of get what you pay for, and yeah. that and that unfortunately makes it hard for people, for companies that you know that want to try the best and get the best people, but you can't. You, you know, you have to pay them. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, no, that's a good point. Rick mentioned that it's it's uh, getting a little better, but oftentimes you don't know who actually produced the description, but you do know the network that the uh, program's on and contacting them surprisingly will have some impact because they'll go back to the people that created the description and say, Hey, what about this? What, tell me what you did here. That kind of thing. And I think Rick mentioned too, that folks are listening. The the clients are listening to the description uh, and that's good. Yeah. Jill, just three little things in answer to your question. Sure. Always think to the consumers out there that are listening to this. There are three levels of where you need to provide feedback. One is to the people that created the show. And by and you can always tell that by the logos, which hopefully were described. But you can find out also on IMDB and online. You can find out who created shows. There's a the, the company, the production company, the people that you know got the director and right. the actors and, and actually shot it. You want to find them and write to them because they care about what they produce. And you can tell them, you know, your show's really great, but it's not being described very well and blah, blah. And you can explain it. 
The next level is the who's distributing it. Is it being streamed by Netflix or Amazon? Is it being you know broadcast on a network? And like Joel said, contact them. That's the distributor. So think right. of the people that produce the show, the people that distribute the show, and then finally, the people that actually described it. You should give feedback on all three levels. Great. Yeah. And with That's that, great. Joel, I have our ending CEU code. Thank you, Katie. Yes, to, yes, yes, get that in there. We've got it. All right. So the, the closing CEU code for those who are registered for those is the number two, the letter F as in Foxtrot, the letter B as in Bravo, the letter C as in Charlie, the letter E as in Echo. Again, that closing CEU code is the number two, the letter F as in Foxtrot, the letter B as in Bravo, the letter C as in Charlie, and the letter E as in Echo. And with that, you need to let me just mention, up. Katie, yeah, yes. uh, that uh, people who had their hands up, uh, feel free to send questions to me directly at jsnyder at acb.org, and I will get them to uh, our panelists. And thank you so much, Brian, Rick, Chris, Dan, and Margot. This was fantastic. Thank you so much thank for you. taking the time thank to be you, with Joel. us. You bet. Thank you, everyone.